Well, I'm glad to be back with you. We have a good crowd tonight. We appreciate your presence, especially if you're visiting with us. We're glad that you're here, and of course, we want you to come back at every opportunity. If you would be opening your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, our passage for tonight will include verses 8 through 17. We're going to talk about a few of the other passages surrounding that, but that's going to be the basis for the sermon tonight. Our subject is, or the sermon is entitled, Walking as Children of Light. Walking as Children of Light. When we begin to look at Ephesians chapter 5, or we begin to dig into this section of Scripture and to understand exactly what Paul has delivered to us, what we begin to notice is that Ephesians 5 is all about change. It's about changing. Uh, Paul's message is that we're to be different from the world. We're to be different from the world in which we live. And since we are different from the world, we're to live accordingly to that. We can't just simply say we're different from the world and then continue to live as the world. Remember, we're talking about walking as children of light. Now, the, this phrase, walking, or walking in, in, in the light, or Walking in, in whatever the scenario may be is used to uh, represent our life here on earth. Our walk in this life, our conversation, our uh, uh, faithfulness, the way we live. So that's what we're talking about. When we talk about walking as children of light, we're talking about living a faithful life. We're talking about owning what we said we wanted to be and being that in a faithful way. Now, the truth of the matter is, is followers of Jesus are supposed to be different. We're supposed to demonstrate a different lifestyle. We're supposed to demonstrate a different attitude. And we're supposed to be in subjection to Him. We're to give ourselves to Christ. That means the, our, our wholeness. All about us. We're to hand that over. And of course, as we consider the chapter as a whole, leading up to the passage under consideration... That truth is demonstrated in Paul's correspondence with the church of Christ in Ephesus. Now, he's writing to Christians. And he is writing to them and admonishing them to maintain their faithfulness for them to continue to walk as children of light. In verse 1, he commands us to live like God. He wants us to live like God would have us to live. In verse 2, He commands us to love like God. From verses 3 all the way through verse 7, He commands us to leave behind this world and to embrace Him. Now when we talk about leaving behind this world, and we're going to notice in a few moments, we're not talking about getting out of this world. There's only one way out of this world. Right? It's like when Nicole and I got married, I told her there's one way out of this marriage, and that's feet first, right? And so none of us are going to get out of this life alive. And so for us to get out of this world, we have to leave this physical world and everything behind us. That means our physical lives. And so he's not talking about getting out of the world and leaving it behind. He says, in fact, when he told us not to fellowship with with the fornicators and with this and with that. He said, I'm not talking about the fornicators of this world. We may have to do business with someone who is an atheist. The person checking us out at the grocery store may not believe in God. But we still have to pay for our groceries, don't we? 
He's talking about to not have fellowship with those who claim to be children of light, but who do not walk as children of light. Instead, they live like the people of the world. He said, don't have fellowship with them. We're going to come across unbelievers in our lives. We better, hadn't we? How are we going to try to even attempt to convert them unless we have some kind of a relationship with them? But he's talking about a spiritual fellowship. We're not to have a spiritual fellowship with those who have claimed to be Christ, yet they live like they belong to Satan. Now verses, or beginning with verse 8, Paul begins the passage under consideration on why we are to leave all that behind if we're going to be children of light and walk in that manner. Now that's important for us to hear. It's important for us to listen to what Paul has to say. It's important for us to make that application into our lives today. It's important for us to be pleasing to God. Now, when we look at what Peter said, Peter said that we were strangers and pilgrims. So, we better not attach ourselves to the things of this world, right? And he made that statement in 1 Peter 2 verse 11. In other words, he says, you're just passing through. You're just a passing through. Don't we sing a song that uses that phraseology? Just a passing through. We're not going to be here for very long. We're looking for that city whose foundations are not built by mankind, but who is, whose is built by God. So Peter says we're pilgrims. We're just passing through. In fact, in that passage, 1 Peter 2 verse 11, he says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. Now there was a time in the lives of every Christian, there, there was a time in the life of everyone who has ever obeyed the gospel plan of salvation when they were in fact citizens of this world. Now what do we mean by that? Well we're talking about living in this world like the world, behaving like the world, dressing like the world, speaking like the world. That's what it means to be a citizen of something. Though, by God's grace, He sent His only begotten Son, and through that grace and and our faith and obedience in Him, we're able to overcome that. And those people who hang the name of Christ around them today are citizens of His kingdom. In fact, Paul made the point. He said that we've been delivered from darkness and hath been translated into the kingdom of His dear Son, Colossians 1.13. But here's the thing. Though we have been delivered, those of us who have obeyed the gospel, though we've been delivered, there is still the temptations that come with this world that want to simply drag us back in. We see it every day of our lives. We see it in all sorts of media. We see it in our entertainment in the songs to which we listen. We see it in advertisements. You can't go through the grocery store without seeing something ungodly. We are bombarded with it. And so we still have this temptation to draw us back into the world to make us who we used to be. Now a lot of the time, people who claim to be Christ will be a part of that. They will be the ones trying to draw us back in. I think a lot of the time because they have a conscience that is guilty because they know 
deep down what they're doing is wrong. And they don't want to do it by themselves. That's how Satan operates, isn't it? But we also have encouragement from God. We've got encouragement from God to fulfill the commandments He's left for us and for us to strive to be exactly what He wants us to be. In commanding us to leave behind the world, Paul said we were to reject sin. He says, Be not therefore partakers with them. Do not participate in someone's sin. If we're going to walk as children of light, we cannot do that. Within the darkness of sin, though, the good news is God has redeemed His people into the light. And He has extended that to us. In essence, God has changed us by His light. That's our first point as we look at this idea of why we are to leave behind the sins of this world and walk as children of light because God has changed us. Well, what did He change us? How did He change us? What was the process? Well, He changed us from what we were to begin with, right? We mentioned about being citizens of the world, not living a godly life. In fact, Paul said, which sometimes which was sometimes darkness, right? We, we weren't living in the light. Those who have never obeyed the gospel aren't living in the light. They may love God and may believe exactly what the Bible says, but until they become obedient, they have not stepped into the light. That means that we were lost in darkness. We were in sin and we needed help in getting out. And God extended His hand. But why were we in that, why were we in that situation? Because we were blinded by the God of this world. Now, in that passage, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Paul's talking about Satan. He's the God of this world, not in that he has the powers of deity, not that he can control us and make us do the things he wants us to do. He is the source of sin. That makes him the God of this world in a worldly sinful sense. That's what he's talking about. We lived like other people, those who were not Christians. And Satan convinced us when we were living in darkness that it was normal and that was acceptable and it was okay because everyone else was doing it. But that's not what children who walk in the light do. That's not what we do. Paul described our former lives this way. Notice Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. He said, And you hath he quickened or made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sin, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That description points to those who are lost, right? That's what we were, those of us who have obeyed the gospel. He changed us from what we were into now what we are. That's why we leave behind the world. Because of the change God made in us. Fortunately, we can embrace the light. Because of God's grace, those of us who have obeyed the gospel. Paul said this, Ephesians 5 verse 8, We are now light in the Lord. Light in the Lord. What does light do? Light takes the darkness away, right? There is no darkness in the light. And because we are light in the Lord, we are to walk as children of light. We are to shine a light. We're to show the way. We're to be what God wants us to be. 
Paul's message to the Christians in Rome was this, Romans 13, beginning with verse 12. He said, The night is far spent. He said, The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. And because of that change, do you recall how Peter described us? When we look at his letter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he said, you're a peculiar people. You're different. You're strange according to the standards of the world. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that ye may show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. That's what we want, right? We don't want to be normal and acceptable according to the world's uh, definition. We want to be peculiar and different. A separated people, a royal priesthood in the church that Christ established. In verses 8 and 9 of our passage, Paul speaks of the character that we are to possess once we've been changed. That's our second point. Paul said that that character will be seen in three different ways. Three manifestations of the fruit of the Spirit. And the first one is goodness. When he talks about goodness, he's talking about virtue. He's talking about godliness in motive, thought, and action. We do things. What's our motive behind doing something? Well, it better be a godly motive. What's the thought process behind even beginning to think about having a motive for something? Well, it ought to be godliness. What's the action that we carry out when we put our motives into action? Well, it ought to be a godly action. That's what he's talking about in goodness. It's the quality of goodness. And, that, and it can be identified by those around us, right? Someone who is good and faithful and virtuous and honest, that can be identified. That's the first quality of character. When we practice goodness, we're walking in love. And that will be seen by those around us. And we treat others in the way that God has treated us, right? God has treated us with goodness. So therefore we treat others with goodness. Then he mentions righteousness. Now that has a reference to our standing to God. What is it about righteousness that connects us to God? Well, when God saved us, what did He declare? He declared you're righteous. Are we righteous based upon our own merit? Absolutely not. We, we don't have that capability. We deserve the wages of sin. Anyone who's ever sinned deserves the wages of sin. But because God has declared us righteous through our obedience to Him, we are able to access His grace. He took our guilt away. He made us holy in His sight. Righteousness. The state of being righteous. Doing right things. Right? That's our relationship with God. And that makes a, that makes us, uh, uh, makes a great distinction between us and the world. The world's not going to live in a godly way. They're not going to live in a right way according to God. They're going to live in a worldly way. But see, righteousness separates us from the world. The third manifestation that 
that should be seen in our character after God has changed us is truth. Well, what exactly is truth? He's talking about honesty, reliability, trustworthiness. We see all of that in God, don't we? The honesty of God, we see that. We see it in His reliability in doing what He said He would do, whether that's regarding rewards or punishments, trustworthiness, being the just and righteous God that He is. See, He is reliable. And we ought to have those characteristics. Now, truth stands in stark contrast to the hypocrisy and the deceivableness of the world, right? The world will deceive you. Satan will deceive us. And is looking to deceive us. But what does truth do? Truth shines a light onto us and onto our paths. That's what the psalmist said, right? It's a, it's a light unto my path. It tells me where I am in relationship to God. And it tells me the direction in which I ought to go. That's what truth does. Truth is in great contrast to the world. Goodness deals with our relationship with each other. Righteousness deals with our relationship with God. And truth deals with our personal integrity. Am I going to live as a child of light? And how do we learn that? We learn it from the truth once delivered, the faith that Jude talked about in Jude 3. We learn it from the gospel system of faith. That's where we learn everything that we know about God. Each of these three manifestations of the fruit of the Spirit can only be a part of those who have obeyed the gospel, those who have given themselves to God. Paul speaks of the change found in those who are children of light. He talks about the characteristics of uh, of those people and how they ought to behave in this life, those who are children of light. But really, what are we talking about in this passage? He said to get out of the world, and in this passage he tells us why. So let's notice finally, this is our third point, the commands that are given. The first command is for us to remove ourselves from the actions of the sinful. Don't participate. Get out of that situation. He says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Again, we go back. Paul has already made this statement, but he's repeating it in a different way. Do not be partakers with others in their sin. We're not to partake of their sinfulness. Even by association, we're not to do that. Paul commanded, 1 Thessalonians 5.22, that we are to abstain from every form of sin, every form of evil. King James says every appearance of evil. Now we have to be careful about how we interpret that, right? Because by meeting on the first day of the week, Sabbatarians think that that's the mark of the beast. That appears to be evil to them. So do we stop doing that because of the appearance of evil? No, that's not what Paul's talking about. He's, he's talking about every form of evil. Any evil that might appear, right? Not just because someone thinks it's sinful. They may be unlearned in the, in the context of what we're talking about, right? They may think something is sinful when in reality it's not. So Paul's talking about abstain from every kind or every form of evil. Anything that might 
make an appearance that is sinful. Stay away from it. And so that's what he's talking about here. We have to live in the world, but we can't be like the world. We've got to pull out of that. We can't do that. And we can't support those who are engaged in those activities. We're to be separate. Now, in our passage, Paul presents a list of sins. Well, those, that list of sins is not all-inclusive. Paul happens to, in the immediate context of this letter, to be addressing a group of Christians who were facing certain types of turmoil. They were facing certain types of temptation. And so Paul focuses on those temptations and those particular sins. Yes, we need to look at this list of sins and avoid them. But it's not all-inclusive. Any sin could be placed on this list that Paul has made. Not only did Paul command us to be removed from sin, he told us to also reprove sin. Listen again to his words, Ephesians 5 verse 11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. What does that mean? That means to expose their evil. That means to shine a light. What do children of light do? They shine a light. They shine a light. When we are silent regarding sin, we are guilty of encouraging it. When we ignore sin, we are guilty of promoting it. We can't do that. We have to shine a light. Reproving carries with it the idea of correction, of discipline and punishment. That's what reprove means. We confront sin by not tolerating it, right? We're not going to tolerate sin. We're not going to allow it to be a part of us. And that means there are times when we have to be very specific and very vocal about the sin. We're to tell those involved what the Bible says about it and why it's wrong. Now, there are other times when we do it in an indirect way. Sometimes we have to do it as it were face-to-face, whether that's through a direct communication, whether that's through a written letter, whether that's through a phone call, or whatever the case may be. But then there may be times when we do it in an indirect manner, that we reprove sin. Well, how do we do that? Well, we live in a world where someone is selfish. So what do we do? We're giving. We live in a world where people may use bad language. So how do we reprove sin? We abstain from that. We live in a world where people live for themselves and for the pleasures that this world offers, so how do we reprove that? We live for Jesus. That's reproving sin in an indirect way. You don't always reprove sin directly. Sometimes we reprove it indirectly. But no matter how we do it, we are to reprove sin. If God is for something then we ought to be for it. If God is against something, we ought to be against it. And that's how we deal with the sins of this world. The balance of our passage speaks to the shame of sin. What what does he mean? He's talking about how we handle it, right? He says it's shameful to even mention it. We don't want to advertise for sin, but we want to certainly speak out against it. So we have to handle it properly and in the proper way. He tells us to take action and expose it to the light, to the light of the truth. Well, that means we hold it up to the Bible. 
We measure it up against the Bible. We want to understand if the Bible condemns it, we condemn it. If the Bible promotes it, we promote it. It's our standard, right? That's how we live and walk as children of light. When we expose sin and error, it's not always going to be pleasing, is it? No one likes to have issues and troubles, but those who engage in sinful activity are not going to be pleased when we shine a light onto it, right? I remember one time, I don't know if I used this illustration once, there was a man who was drunk and he had... uh, lost his car keys and he was on the side of the he's on the sidewalk and and he had walked out of or he was right under a street lamp and he's looking around for his keys and the police officer comes up and says well where did you lose them he said well I lost them over there in the weeds and he said well why aren't you over there looking he said well the lights over here right he didn't want to go into the darkness so we have to shine a light and we have to shine it where it needs to be shown right that's what we need to do And that isn't always popular, but it's always right. We see that in Matthew 5, 14 through 16. How we're a light of the world. We let it shine forth to give honor and glory to God. Not always popular, but it's always right. There was once a great fire in Edinburgh, Scotland, in which the people hurried to exit through a doorway, try to get out of the building, down a passage that led to the street. They were almost safe when when this rush of smoke came in from the outside and it blinded them to the exit to where they were going. They were literally feet away from the outside. They were feet away from the light. But see, this big billowing cloud of smoke came in from the outside and it blocked all the light. So instead, what they did, they they went into this side room they thought was safe and, and they all huddled into there. But the problem is, eventually... All of the oxygen was used up in the air because of the fire and the smoke and they all suffocated. They were literally feet from the light. But they couldn't see it because of the darkness. The darkness had overshadowed it. If only they had seen the light, right? They could have made it down the hallway. The world needs the light of God. He's blessed us with that and it's our responsibility to take it to the world. And sometimes we have to shine that light onto a sin or onto a problem. That's what those children who walk in the light do. We do it out of love for those who are engaged in error. Let us seek to walk as children of light. Let's brighten this world from the darkness of sin to the glorious light of the kingdom of God's dear Son. That's what we need to do. Before we can do that, we have to be obedient to the gospel plan of salvation. After having listened to the words of God, whether we've read it on our own, whether we've listened to someone explain it, whatever the case may be, we have digested the Word of God. He's left a pattern for us. Faith in His Son that He was who He said He was. Jesus walked this earth. No one has been written about more than the Christ. He was a real person who lived in a real world who had a real message. And within His message, He asks us to repent of the lifestyles that are in contradiction to what God wants us to do. He wants us to be faithful to Him. And when we do that, that necessarily leads to this idea of confessing Him before people. That's living our lives for Him. Yes, in initial obedience to the gospel, we stand before at least one other person and we make that statement like the Ethiopian eunuch did in Acts chapter 8. 
I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Being buried with Him in baptism, Romans 6, 3 and 4, Galatians 3, 26 and 27, coming into contact with His blood, at that very point that we're submerged, we're buried just like He was. And then we come up, Paul said, to walk in a new life. Why? Because our sins have been washed away, Acts twenty two sixteen, And then living a faithful life, walking as children of the light. That's what God wants for us. We have to do that before we can become children of the light. But sometimes in this world, the darkness, the billowy cloud of darkness will come in from the outside and will envelop us and it makes us unable to see the light. So what do we do then? We get rid of that sin in our lives. We ask God to forgive us. We repent. We make the confession that we have sinned. We own that sin. We tell God, I have sinned. Not if I have. Maybe I sinned. I'm not aware of it. That's very seldom the case, right? Sometimes we might sin being unaware of something that is wrong and when it's brought to our attention, we make correction for that. But normally when we sin in this life, we do it because it's a choice. We own that. We, we take responsibility. We ask God to forgive us. We may need to do that in a public way. If we sin publicly and it's impossible for us to go to the one or the two or the twenty individuals privately to make that correction then we have to make that confession publicly that I've done wrong. We ask God to forgive us, and He will. He'll forgive us. He'll continue to walk with us. The blood of Christ will continually cleanse us as we are walking in the light, 1 John 1, 7. If you stand in need to answer this invitation this night, whether you've never obeyed the gospel or whether you have and you need to come back to the Lord, do that as we stand and as we sing.